0: Welcome to the Suicide Prevention Show. We are waking up the world with the power of positivity, making suicide, especially teen suicide, a thing of the past. And we're going to go into a very unique perspective on this world. We're gonna go on a journey with John Neuenberg. And as he says, it's what comes after suicide that matters. So please join me, John, into the studio. I know you're in there. So, hey, there you are, look at that, poof, magic. Hi. Hi, Hi. I love how this works. Ah, So how are you this morning, John?
1: Off the chart's awesome, thanks for
0: asking. (laughs) Off the chart's awesome, I love it. I love it. So I met you because we have a mutual coach and Mm. he said, Jackie, you you gotta go check out John's talk. And so I had just finished my TEDx talk and I went and checked out your talk. And it was like, oh, yeah, there's something here that is so compelling about your journey that I was just delighted that you were able to join me today. So thank you. My pleasure. happy to be here. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about you, because unless somebody's in the you know, um, executive coaching realm, they might not have ever heard of John.
1: Well, Jackie, I don't know quite how to start with that. I'm a business coach. I work with small business owners. Um, I've been doing that since 2004, and that's largely to help small business owners get their business to a place where it's supporting their life. And uh, before that, I did a lot of corporate things, uh, mostly in retail, and um, yeah, I've got lots of gray hair, so... uh, (laughs) Uh, sort of the uh, la- latter stages of my career, but uh,
0: it's the happiest stages of my career as well. So it's really interesting. You know, retail will give you gray hair. I'm absolutely convinced about it. I spent some time in that realm. You know? <laughs> You're such a very gentle, soft-spoken hmm. gentleman, John. And yet you took a stage and shared a story that was both personal, incredibly compelling, and professionally risky. Hmm. You
1: know, it felt that way at the time, and um, I was uh, very concerned. I had a lot of people tell me that it was um, a mistake. I'm hardwired to be a teacher. And so I felt this compelling internal motivation to share some views, some opinions, some perspective, experiences. And, um, and so I was gonna do that despite the risk, whatever that meant, I was, I was, um, that was my compelling reason to do it. I, I wanted to um, offer any uh, perspectives or insight or lessons that I might be able to uh, pass along. Um, and uh, the, uh, the other half of the story, though, is I learned that it isn't a risk at all. That um, Brenny Brown made that point clearly in her TED talk. Vulnerability is um, very attractive. Uh, people, all of us experience, you know, um, things that we're unhappy, uncomfortable, vulnerable about. And when we see another person become vulnerable, it, um, it draws us in. It, it creates trust, it creates integrity and, uh, and so I learned this in a counterintuitive way that it's a paradox. Vulnerability is very attractive, although it's very scary to do.
0: So take us back to the journey that you went on because the majority of people watching this don't know your story.
1: So okay. they haven't
0: they, ha- they don't have my advantage of having seen your talk. Okay.
1: Yeah, so uh, I attempted suicide in 2011, in May 25th. Um, I. Uh, it's only recently in the last couple of years that I recognize that um, I was in a state of depression that was triggered or otherwise set off by the passing. My mom passed away in 2009, and um, it was 18 months later that I made the suicide attempt, and I now believe those two things were connected I was exceptionally I was very close to my mom and not so much to my dad um and the other thing is that I also recognized that I'd uh, been depressed at least two other times in my life um that I didn't recognize recognize or name them that way they weren't called that at that time Mm. Uh, I was in a very dysfunctional state, but uh, it got translated into your, uh, you know, you're a bum, you're lazy, you're no good, um, all of those kinds of um, observations were made um, in both of the two earlier times in my life. And, um, what I would say about the uh, doing the TEDx talk, which I did in May of 2015, so uh, four years later, is that it was the very best thing I could have done. It was uh, therapeutic for me, a catharsis to, uh, to have to crystallize and learn and um, reflect on all of what got me to that place where I decided suicide was a good idea. Um, and um, uh, so it was a very powerful thing for me personally. I thought I was doing it because I wanted to pass along lessons, but what I learned is the biggest benefit was my um, healing that took place as a result of having, uh, having to put it together. Um, just by way of explanation, um, I made a proposal to Roger, the person that you mentioned, uh, in November and uh, did the talk in May and in that space my PowerPoint presentation if you go to the properties section of PowerPoint you'll um, my PowerPoint was open 22,000 minutes which is 16 24-hour days and that's the you know the um, that's how much time I spent on rehearsing and thinking and writing and re-rehearsing and Ah, got it. So it was the 22,000 minutes that acted as a kind of form of therapy.
0: 22,000 minutes is enough to change your perspective on something, there is no doubt, even on your own life. Yes, it did for me. You said something very compelling, which is this idea of depression, unrecognized. It's, It's like sneaky. That's my experience of it. Um, I was eventually diagnosed with clinical depression and that sent me on a journey to understand more about it. But I didn't realize just how pervasive it can be. And you know, that most people experience it and it's a natural biological function Uh, of the human body is supposed to go into depression in the winter. It's how the caveman survived. Yeah. It's just, we don't have that kind
1: of winter anymore. Um, no, not quite that way. Um, it's uh, believed that at least one in five, and uh, some believe one in four, have experienced uh, um, significant depression in their lifetime. So it's much, much more prevalent than we um, give rise to. And what I can tell you is that as a result of the TEDx talk, I've um, received tons and tons of people reaching out to share with me their circumstance, their experience. And um, which, all of which is to say that if we gave depression and mental illness, the kind of attention that we give heart disease or cancer or other physical forms of illness, mm-hmm. uh, we'd, uh, all of us would be better off individually and we'd be better off in society
0: in my view. Oh, absolutely. You got that right. Um, that's a conversation worth having, and that's why we host this show, is to help normalize this expression. We're looking at the world through two lenses, and John, one of them is pure prevention, which is what mm. all of the programs that we create at Success Journey Academy for the Suicide Prevention Society are pure prevention programs. Mm. We What most programs under the label of suicide prevention are really intervention programs. They only mm-hmm. kick in when somebody's deemed to be at risk. And mm. if people don't know that they are dealing with depression, they don't know that they're at risk, so they don't go and find those programs.
1: Yeah.
0: And it's I, a real conundrum.
1: You know, the um, the way that I think about it is, um, um, um when you uh, begin an episode of depression, it's like being at the top of a very slippery slope. And in the early days, you, uh, or in the early part of that slide, you have the capacity to, to change the trajectory. Um, but there's a point in no return where you're going down the trajectory down the slope so fast that, that uh, you don't have or I did not have the capability of changing the momentum of that even though I knew intellectually I was going to that place I didn't for some I you know I don't know how to explain it other than I was heading in a direction and I couldn't change it and uh, what's changed uh, in terms of prevention is because of that insight I now recognize the early stages of it and I'm much more capable of altering that and uh, so the, the um, depression feels very much like a vicious circle It compounds and accelerates. And a vicious circle has an opposite. The opposite of a vicious circle is a virtuous circle and it has the same properties. It compounds and accelerates, but in exactly the opposite direction. And so what's changed for me is I now can initiate the virtuous circle instead of becoming a victim product uh, of the vicious circle.
0: So let's talk a little bit about that. What are the things that trigger a virtuous? Because I haven't heard that term before, I love it. What triggers a virtuous circle?
1: Well, um, most of us, the way that we uh, identify or the way that we talk to ourselves is the things we say to ourselves about ourselves when no one else is looking. So the things we say to ourselves that are usually I am, I can or I can't. And so for most of us, we sort of inadvertently or without conscious thought go to those places where we're very self-critical. And mm. um, and so you need a counterpoint to that. And, uh, and that counterpoint is to have a set of affirmations, which is uh, instead of allowing your head to become full of the negative self-talk, that there's a place that you can say, well, no, 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 I, I have a positive place that I can go to. And and that's the 16 affirmations. In fact, they're on the back of my door here as a poster. Um, And so that's what I focus on. It's a lesson I learned from Ben Franklin had uh, what he called 13 virtues. So at the age Mm -hmm. of 20, he uh, was sailing from London back to Philadelphia and he wrote the 13 virtues as a framework that he used for the rest of his life to, to define who he was when he was at his best. And that's what affirmations are. It's a way of uh, defining yourself that says, this is who I am. This is when I'm my my best. And when I fall off the track, this is where I come back to as my uh, touchstone. And it sets off a virtuous circle because it's who you become.
0: Got it. So you have them on your door so that they are a constant reminder for you.
1: Yeah, I have them in lots of places. It's the only document on my computer that's not in a folder. In other words, it's, uh, it's the most accessible document that I have on my uh, computer. Uh, it's on my bedside, it's on my phone, obviously. And um, it's, a, it's, a, um, it's a way of um, talking to yourself that produces a desired outcome as opposed to allowing yourself to be uh, a product of all the,
0: what for most of us is very negative self-talk. Negative self-talk is a thing. There is no doubt. Um, and of course it's also a thing in our culture. It's not just self-talk. If it was just self-talk, I'm not sure it would be as big of a thing. Yeah. We, yeah. We do live in a very negatively focused world and naturally so. You know, it's what to avoid, knowing what to avoid is what kept cave men alive. Exactly. Yeah. So we're so feedback.
1: Our brain is hardwired to look for trouble. To look for, and that's how we survive saber-toothed tigers.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: uh, but the brain has never developed another capability that's that acts as a counterpoint to that survival instinct, which of course we we um, was necessary when it's saber-toothed tigers. We don't see saber-toothed tigers today, but we see lots and lots of problems, lots of challenges, lots of things that
0: we uh, get because, triggered with that same. Exactly that same fight, flight, freezer, faint Everyone. responses yeah. Yeah. You know, that, that the power of being aware of it. And it sounds like that was really part of the journey. And, and so we're having two conversations. One is the journey through the TEDx process and what happens after because yeah. every you, know, you, I'm just going to say this anybody listening you do not have to be a suicide attempt survivor to be a TEDx speaker I'm just saying there are other things you can talk about on on the stage you know this doesn't have to be your topic and it doesn't matter what your topic is the journey through the TEDx process is an amazing growth opportunity because you do have to get beyond vulnerable is um, you know Roger Killen is a brilliant man who's doing the get inspired talks now. Mm -hmm. And he got me through from vulnerable to being willing to be naked Mm -hmm. on the stage and, and actually let people have a window into what it was like for me as the mother of a teen suicide attempt survivor. And what it was like hearing my daughter share her story publicly. Um, and, and that was my story and the power of doing that changes it changed me as far as being willing to do one whatever it took to be confident enough to take that stage that was not an easy thing to do so you were telling your personal story and I'm going John the mindset shifts that you had to go through in order to get there. Um, what, what happened after that for you? Because I know, I know that it changes the perspective on the world when you wake up and you're still alive. At least that's what my daughter told me. So what happened for you when you realized you were still alive? Well, in the moment that it occurred, I was angry.
1: (laughs) Um, um, Because I was disappointed to find myself still alive. I I was not one of those people that was crying for help. I literally was looking to um, pass away. And... um, um i uh, came home that day and my wife didn't take long for her to discover that um, the story I had made up wasn't true and uh, and she recognized as a result the uh, the uh, injury that I had to my neck and she sought and got some advice from my brothers and it was the three of them that actually created a um a a place where I was given an opportunity to uh, heal and recover. Um, As it happened, uh, about three months after my attempt, I also landed up in hospital for 22 nights with a uh, um, a liver condition, which I suspect was related from all the stress that might've existed. Um, And so, I don't have too much recollection of what took place between 2011 and 2015. In fact, when I think back on it, Jackie, I, I it's hard for me to imagine what I was thinking or feeling in those days because it feels so foreign um, like a, a, another lifetime ago or someplace that um, just doesn't exist for me. And um I was definitely uh, the combination of doing of the suicide attempt and then uh, doing the TEDx talk and more of the healing that came from it was a a 180 degree pivot in my life um, change of direction and focus and uh, um, I literally um, think back to that time and think I don't know what in the world I was thinking and um uh, and as a result of all the changes that have been made, uh, the last five years have been easily the best five years of my life, and I almost missed it. Um, but it happened, I think, because of the two things. One is hitting a rock bottom and then finding a way to uh, heal from that and, um, and um, become the person I've always been capable of being, but was in some way or another um, hampered or unable to be that person and um either that or I take real good medication now it's some combination um that's allowed (laughs) me to be um allowed me to be who I am today
0: cool that's that's lovely and I'm certainly glad that you're around yeah (laughs) there is no doubt and you said something really compelling um, the idea that these last five years have been the best years of your life and you almost miss them. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and you almost missed them intentionally. <laughs> well, you didn't uh, believe that it could change.
1: That's what happens is you get to a place where you don't know that it can change. You don't believe that it can change. And mm-hmm. uh, um, and that's what's so debilitating about depression that, um, that uh, you just see it as... Uh, There's no other possibility except the experience of depression, and yet the the, uh, coping or dealing or the self-therapy, I did get therapy, by the way, um, as well, but all of that combination got me to
0: a place where I I became a different person. So it sounds like it was a worthwhile journey. Um, It didn't have to be as painful. (laughs) I I didn't mean to imply that it was easy because I get the fact that it wasn't. (laughs) Um,
1: The change has been worth it for sure.
0: Cool. So coming back to, you said that your 16 affirmations are based on Ben Franklin's 13 virtues. Yeah. Is the 16 affirmations, is this a list that you created or curated or... Um, Because I'm really interested in what they are. If you wouldn't mind sharing, that would be lovely.
1: Yeah, I'm just going to open it. Let me just open the document. So um, they're not, can I share my screen?
0: I believe so, that you have that capacity.
1: Um, So um, this happens to be my scent. There happens to be 16 of them. There are um, people that say you um, uh, 21 is ideal. And uh, the tip I'll give anyone who's listening to this, if you go to uh, and Google the phrase Jack Canfield, how to do affirmations, uh, he's got a wonderful ins- set of instructions on his page. It'll cost you your email to get access to it. Um, I wrote the first set uh, in uh, 2007. And, um, uh, they didn't feel quite right. Uh, about six or twelve months later, I had an epiphany or some kind of moment aha, and wrote the set that I just shared with you. And uh, in about twenty minutes, and um, it's been my cornerstone ever since.
0: All right. Um, well, now you got now you got to answer the question. What was the epiphany? What's the aha that made it possible for you to write your sixteen affirmations in twenty minutes?
1: Well, it's you know, it's kind of I guess the art- artistic process of creativity is I you know chewed the cut, if I can use that expression for six months, and um, and then um, some place in my subconscious all of that crystallized in and I was able to express it in twenty minutes. And so what. I, the reason I mention it is because if your experience is anything like mine, you'll complete the exercise and you'll have a bunch of affirmations and it won't feel right. It won't. And there's a great temptation to give up after that, or, you know, or to kind of dismiss it or it doesn't work or whatever. And, um, and, um, my experience was that it took me six months to get to a place where, um, where it felt real.
0: So for the six months, you were reading the affirmations that you had written in the first set. Yeah. Okay. And and so that's what you meant by chewing the cud. You were actually reading those affirmations. Yeah. They weren't quite right, but they were enough to get you to a place where then you could do, you had the shift and could exactly. write. Things. Yes, exactly. Cool. And the others have stood the test of time. Correct.
1: Yeah.
0: Cool. Yeah. And the brain loves... The combination of both the familiar and the novel. Hmm. So, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm curious about what else you do, to, because I know that the you know the brain loves both of those. Uh, what else do you do? With you have the sixteen affirmations. Is there another practice that you add to those that you've added in or taken out? Or,
1: um, well, you said something earlier, which is. Um, um, Stephen Covey talks about being proactive Mm -hmm. is the, the first of the seven habits of highly effective people. And his definition is the ability to be response able. In other words, to choose your response. And the way that he talks about it is there's a space between stimulus, something happening and what you do about it. And that space is where you get to choose the response and uh, what you refer to is having the awareness, the mindfulness, the capability of recognizing that you've been triggered or affected by something. And instead of just instantly uh, behaving as a result of the trigger, there's a space now where you get to make a different choice. And um, and so I sometimes tease, but uh, I'm still not very good with getting cut off in traffic. If someone cuts me off in traffic, I there's not much space between stimulus and response there. I'm Triggered by having someone get in my way. And so, I, um, so I've become better um, at uh, creating that space between trigger and response, recognizing I've just been triggered. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't say that I do it all the time, but one of the things that happens with affirmations is that as you think of your day and you're thinking about your affirmations, it gives you the opportunity to recognize, oh, I wasn't very good in that moment or I could have been better in that moment. And, uh, and so affirmations help create a, um, a space around mindfulness, uh, because Ben Franklin, what Ben Franklin did, um, you might want to look up 13virtues.com, go to 13virtues.com, and his, his uh, virtues are there, and uh, he had a scorecard. And so he would have the days of the week and the uh, x-axis and and the y-axis was the first three letters of each of the 13 virtues. And he made it a practice for the rest of his life to uh, adopt one of the virtues each week. And as he says in his biography, he let the other 12 fall where they may. And he would spend that week focusing on that virtue and reflecting on his conduct that day and Estimating or otherwise reflecting on how well did he live up to his own expectations of himself, and he he literally had a scorecard where he would make a mark if he felt like he could have been better, and uh, so that's how affirmations work. And um, by uh, some coincidence, if you have thirteen of these things and you do one per week, it means you're rolling through them four times a year. By some
0: coincidence, yeah. yes. Yeah. Uh, that's Ben Franklin had an amazing ability to create systems. Exactly, exactly. He's a remarkable man. Um, he he was the um, master of ADD apparently because oh, yeah? yeah that's the the history uh, that I have read of him. He actually was a very um, irritable, distractible young man. Hmm and that the things like a place for everything and everything in its place were Mm -hmm. the systems that he created to manage his own ADD. Right. And those are the tried and true systems that they use now for helping people manage ADD. Well, the...
1: The, the bit of wisdom or insight that Ben Franklin was able to give himself is the best way to get from a poor habit to a better habit isn't through willpower or discipline. It's a bit of fiction. It's a myth that we hold that we're, it takes willpower or discipline. And the truth of it is that none of us have enough. Willpower and discipline are an easily... Um, consumed resource. And in fact, the best way to get from one habit to another is to create structure or a system. And so uh, the example I'd like to offer Jackie is in one case, one person says, I'd like to lose weight. And that person says, you know, I'll just be more mindful, be careful, eat more salad. And the other person says, you know, I'm gonna get this app on my phone and I'm gonna make a record of all the food that I eat, the types of food, the quantity, how much exercise I got. Which of those two is more likely to get a better outcome?
0: The one who's building awareness of their habits.
1: The one who's building a structure or a system or has a feedback loop.
0: Mm-hmm. And so
1: if you're considering, I'd like to get to a place with better habits, there's two things you can do for yourself. One is to build systems and structures. And number two, which ties back to actually do something we we're talking about, is how you t- um, how you think of yourself and this comes back to "I am"s or the way the way you talk to yourself about yourself. So, uh, as an example of that, um, we're going to offer a cigarette to each of two people, both of which um, are have said that they're going to quit. So, one of them you offer a cigarette, and that one says, "No thanks, I'm trying to quit." And the other one says, "No thanks, I am a non-smoker." Which mm-hmm. of those two is going to have a better outcome? The one who names themselves and identifies as the non-smoker, whereas the first one's still focused on cigarettes. And so how we talk to ourselves about ourselves together with the systems and structures we build around ourselves is the best way to get from a a bad or a poor or undesirable
0: habit to one that you prefer. Cool. I like systems and structures. Um, I noticed that your affirmations were like, I am respectful. Yeah. And so I, the I am claiming them in present tense, giving myself that um, label, if you will. It's yeah. probably the only place where labels don't limit us is when we are using them accurately in creating affirmations. Correct. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So uh, Carol Dwight wrote a book called Mindset and she talks about fixed versus growth um, mindset. And, mm-hmm. uh, and so in that way, these are growth, Um, create a growth mindset of uh, possibility, uh, unlimited futures, um, and aren't uh, structured in a way where you're, um, well, where you're fixed or where you're saying, I can't do better than what I'm doing today.
0: You know, this thing about affirmations is so incredibly powerful. And there's actually now A program that I'd love to gift you um, because it's like a vision board affirmation maker on steroids and it's Mm. designed to work with the brain. It's a neuroscience-based thing. And so actually I'll give it to everybody who's listening to this. Um, It's up on a website, Emotional Teflon, Mm. because we are bombarded with negative emotional messages all the time from both inside and outside our brains, which is what we've been talking about. Mm-hmm. And so this is a way of putting in a massive amount of positive images really quickly in like three to five minutes a day. Mm. And so we'll pop that. Thank you, Katie. Um, so the link is there for everyone. And John, you know, especially for you, I would love to see your 16 virtues be put into this because you can customize it for yourself. And, and you know, it would, it's just an amazing tool. And for when we're trying to change this mindset and get from a fixed mindset to a growth mindset, we're an uphill battle because mm. of the massive number of negative images that we're exposed to every single day.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, it's about making an intentional choice that uh, as I mentioned earlier that you have a, a counterweight, counterbalance, counterpoint to all of those um, otherwise uh, negative signals we're getting or that we're noticing actually as much as getting, noticing. And, uh, and so um, proactively go out and, and create a counterweight. And so that's the only way that you can do the high wire act. You Can't do it this way uh, yes. And so, when you have a counterweight, well, then that's what creates balance.
0: That's true. So, creating the counterweights, and I love the resources, you know, being able to look at um, Benjamin Franklin's systems for his 13 virtues, Jack Canfield's system for writing affirmation. And let's talk about the system you have because your system is very specifically focused on business. I mean, right. this is what you were doing you know, prior to this journey that we've been talking about, and it's what you yeah. do now, right? Because yeah. um, who, who are the people who are the best people for you to work with? Who, who does that match up to for you? Who's your audience? The, um,
1: they're small business owners. they typically have a business of maybe a million to uh, six, seven, eight million million um they are working unbelievably hard um Uh but they're feeling like they don't have control or otherwise their business is overwhelming them and it's typically because they're experiencing difficulties around some combination of time team or money Uh and so they're feeling like i've got too much to do not enough time to do it i can't get everything done if i don't do it it won't get done Uh, They may be saying around team, I can't hire the right team members. I can't get them to do the work at the level I need. I can't. um,
0: Oh, have you been like listening in on my conversations?
1: uh, This sounds
0: a lot like some of the self-talk I've been dealing with this last year.
1: Yeah. (laughs) And um, money has to do with um, uh, wanting better outcomes, sales and marketing, getting more money in the business and having better accounting so the um, purpose of the kind of businesses that i'm describing here for the owner is to give them the life they want no one was born to business or born to live and often their business is not giving them that and
0: mm-hmm.
1: ultimately what i do as a coach is help them get the systems processes tools in place that allows them to live their best life
0: cool cool it's, it's really a big key because as an entrepreneur and a small business owner, having a life as well as having a business, you know, people talk about work-life balance, but there's not a lot of really solid information that's easy to digest and implement. Right. Yeah. You know, and so I love the fact we, when you offered to give us your three steps to a business that and- Here we go. Smoothly, profitably, and mostly without me. I was like, oh, now that's a good title. (laughs) That's a book I will read because smoothly, profitably, and mostly without me is my wish for the teen suicide prevention society. Uh I want the society to run mostly without me so that I can continue to run my business and continue to do what I love to do. Yeah. And I want it to make a big impact in the world. So yeah. I, I really appreciate your gift, John. I am looking forward to it a great deal. Where did the idea of putting it into three steps come from?
1: Well, mostly uh, from experience in a, a group of coaches that I worked together with uh, that we uh, discovered that we had. Experiences of working with business owners that are approximately the same, and together we built out a, uh, this program that acts to as a framework, as a system by which you can get to wherever you are today, to um, uh, ultimately a place where your uh, your business thrives, even when you're not there. Cool. It may sound like a dream to lots of people, but uh, or unattainable. But
0: in fact, it's quite possible. You know, it's, it's amazing that it is the belief of whether or not it's possible that determines whether someone will even pick up a book like this. Yeah. If they don't believe it's possible to have that kind of a business, then the book won't even become on their radar screen, no matter how many times they would have it put in front of them. Well, I'm
1: going to, I'll, I'll give you the key that'll unlock the principle. Um, So it's easy to say, it's hard to do. So my uh, riddle is this, how do they get those French fries to taste the same? Whether they're made in Moscow, your hometown or Hong Kong, the French fries are made by a 16 year old and the parents of that 16 year old can't get him or her to clean their bedroom. How do they do that? Well, they have great systems, great recipes, great processes And so the key is this idea that systems run your business, people run your systems, you lead your people. And so if you believe that people run your business, then as people come and go, so your business fluctuates with that. Whereas if you've got systems in place, here's how we do French fries, uh, those systems can be replicated and that's what allows you to scale. And that's also what allows you, the owner, to know what's being done with or without your presence because they're operating the system you've created
0: okay systems run your business people run the systems correct and the owner's job is to lead the people exactly okay so cool so that's an amazingly simple system
1: yes yeah it's simple in concept it's Um, if it was easy, everyone would do it. And uh, that's the part that I help with is uh, I help business owners apply that idea to their business.
0: So you help make it easy. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I like that about you. (laughs) Jen. this is a delightful journey that we are on. And the purpose of the journey is to help people understand that no matter if they have been on the ledge or have even left off the ledge, they're still here and the ledge can be a turning point in their life but there's a journey that goes with it
1: yeah.
0: you know and and so your journey was through the TEDx stage experience and right. what happened after that was I you know, you're, you were a business coach before then right
1: correct right.
0: you're a business coach now So you're still doing what you were doing, but what's different?
1: Um, Yeah, so um, I was uh, in a very difficult place for, I've been a business coach for 15 years, five of which I was in a very difficult personal place. Mm -hmm. And uh, my uh, practice suffered as a result. I wasn't very successful in that middle five years. It was uh, reasonably moderately successful in the first five not so much in the middle five and off the charts extraordinarily successful by most people's standards, the last five. So I had that middle period where I needed to, uh, or got the opportunity to have a, uh, a think.
0: A think. It's like a cocoon. It yeah. Is, and, and it was during that period of time that you actually decided to take and take your story to the stage. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, so that okay. So the first five you were moderately successful, but it wasn't enough to mitigate the depression. Success does not mitigate depression. It's a no, and
1: the uh, depression was uh, sort of a culmination or brought into focus as a result of the grieving, um, as um, from my mom's death, and that grieving wasn't completely or thoroughly uh, processed and one of the stages of five stages of grief is depression and I got stuck in that stage for a long time.
0: Got it so then after the suicide attempt you were in the the cocoon if you will and that's where you worked more in your grieving? Uh, well you
1: know that was kind of a pivotal point in life a culmination uh, inflection point let me describe it that way and uh, um a flexion
0: point. Okay.
1: Inflection. Yeah. So it, instead of taking this road, I took that path.
0: Ah, path. got it. Thank
1: and you. Um, and um, the happy circumstance coincident of getting ready to do the TEDx talk was um, ultimately led to the best kind of therapy I could have had, and uh, and that led to a different you know set of outcomes and and um, mm-hmm. uh, so it was that uh, it. I honestly um, have to say it was because of the work I did to get prepared for the TED talk that changed my mindset and that gave me the uh, insight to um, think about things in a different way, happier way, more
0: productive way. Um, That shifted your thinking then and now you've had explosive business growth after taking a risk that you thought could end your career.
1: Correct. And so uh, if there's a way to sort of close the circle here is that um, if I'm an example of one, I don't believe that's true, but it, from the worst place to the best place uh, is possible. And so um, what matters more is not what you might be experiencing in the moment you're thinking about. Or uh, contemplating, in fact, uh, let me be a witness that says it can and
0: does Uh, And it's possible for you to have your best life as well. There we go. You can, and it's possible to have your best life as well. Yeah. Cool. John, thank you very much for being willing to share your story with us today. I greatly appreciate it. My pleasure. I'm happy to be here.